When we think about slavery, we think about something that ended many, many years ago in our minds, right? We think about the African slave trade. What we don't think about and what we don't understand and realize is that human trafficking and slavery is happening today. And in fact, there are children, thousands and thousands of children right here in the United States that are sold into sexual slavery every day. It's heartbreaking and it should cause us men to want to do something about it. Today's guest is gonna address it. We'll get right into it right after this. In a culture that scoffs at honor, you can rise up to lead and to shine. It's time to be the best man that you can be. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Here's your host, Josh Hatcher. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm your host, Josh Hatcher, and I appreciate that you guys take the time every week to tune in to the work that we're, we're doing here at Manlyhood. This is a movement, guys. This isn't just about a podcast. This isn't just about a YouTube channel and some guy who rambles his thoughts and occasionally talks to somebody else about theirs. This is a movement because what we're here to do is to help men be better men. We're here to help men to rise into the high calling of manhood, to step into all that it means to be a better man, to be a better husband, a better father, a better leader. This is something we care passionately about and we want you to be a part of it too. So if you're a man and you want to be a part of a brotherhood that helps build you up, go to the Manlyhood Man Cave on Facebook. Join the group. You'll have to answer a couple questions and we'll approve your membership and we can talk there. And you're going to grow, you're going to be mentored, you're going to be encouraged, and you're going to be built up. And you're going to help others be built up because that's what we do together. Listen, today's guest, Alan Smith, is the co-author of this book, Men Fight For Me. And it's about ending human trafficking and sexual exploitation, especially for children. And uh, Alan is doing amazing work through his nonprofit uh, that he serves at. And it is really something phenomenal that you need to see and you need to hear and you need to be a part of because it's going to take all of us to change this culture. Let's check it out. Alan, it is great to have you on the show. I, uh, I have read through your book uh, some and it's, it's some really intriguing and interesting stuff. And I know that our, our whole culture is facing this issue of human trafficking right now. And I think a lot of people want to know what they can do about it. So I'm really glad that you took the time to put this in a book and maybe we can have a conversation. Let's, let's, let's see what we can find out. So uh, tell, tell me more, tell me more about yourself. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, this is phenomenal. Uh, you've got a great work you're doing with men in your world, in your orbit. And uh, I'm honored to join you in that space. Uh, I have an important message to all men. I have an urgent message. <laughs> um, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But um, a little bit more about me. I'm the executive director for a nonprofit organization based in Los Angeles, California, called Saving Innocence. And uh, our specialty, it's 11-year-old nonprofit. Our specialty is the recovery and the restoration 
of child victims of sex trafficking. And it's my honor to uh, do everything I can do to bring resources to this population, to bring health and wholeness to these kids, to serve the staff that serve these kids directly. And um, you just can't believe the ugliness and the darkness that's going on right here in our country. And, and that's, that's one of the first ahas that we could talk about is that when someone hears child victims of sex trafficking, they usually are thinking, oh, I've heard about it. that's in Thailand, right? That's in uh, it's the China or Africa. It's like, well, it is in those places, but it's right here in our zip codes and our cities. And the victims are U.S. born American kids. And um, so I get to I get to lead an organization that is going after those kids. And uh, I get to spoil the staff whenever I can with uh, great things that encourage them. And and um, that's that's kind of my day job. That's what I do. That's awesome. I uh, It's got to be rewarding to be able to do that full time and, and just kind of go whole hog into it, you know? Well, it is. And I, and I pride myself, uh, <laughs> is that at, at first it was sort of a kind of a little bit of a joke, but it was actually real. Um, they can't get a no out of me. Like I pride myself. I've never said no, <laughs> um, to a, a need that is happening in our midst with these kids. It's my job to find the money. It's, it's their job, meaning the staff to connect the dots and make that happen. Whether it's an emergency plane flight out of danger or an emergency hotel room out of danger, or maybe it's diapers for the, for the young mom and, you know, just all the stuff. We just say yes to all those things because like you, Josh, I'm a dad and, um, I can't, I can't take another moment in this work, the very first moment is I'm a dad. I see it through that lens. And what if my own two children um, were to be swept up into this? How can I say no to anything that they might need? And I just transfer that over to the kids that we serve. And it's, it's really fun to be able to do that. Yeah. So how did you get involved with this? What, what kind of woke you up or brought you into this reality? Yeah, I was uh, on the Young Life staff for 25 years. I don't know if you or your listeners are familiar with the Young Life staff, but it's a faith-based organization reaching out to kids. In the last 14 years, I was in Los Angeles doing Young Life. And um, I certainly had come across kids that had been trafficked. I just didn't know it. I didn't have enough knowledge or understanding or vision to understand what was happening. The kids that we were working with in Young Life. And uh, the year before I left, which is 2015, um, one of our Young Life staff women said, hey, we should do Young Life for the kids at Saving Innocence. <laughs> and I like like I said a minute ago, like, oh, what? Or are they in Thailand? Where are they? What? No, right here in Los Angeles, right in our country. I said, what? So that never went away. We kind of never were able to connect the dots there. But a year later, when I stepped away from the Young Life staff after 25 years, it was time for a different challenge, a new look, um, a, a different, uh, you know, environment. Uh, I never... I never forgot that idea that there's children being trafficked for sex right here in our midst. And uh, so I cold called Saving Innocence. I cold called the founder and uh, said, I'd love to meet with you. And we had a great couple hour meeting. I got a parking ticket out in front and um, <laughs> because it ran long and um, she opened my eyes. That was step one of my eyes getting opened. And um, I heard things and saw things and suddenly everything I knew the people that I knew, the experiences that I've had, who I was at the DNA level began to make sense. And it was like, this is what I'm supposed to do for this next season of my life. And I've been there for six years now, uh, not quite a rookie anymore, but still so much more to do. And uh, I jumped in, they hired me and um, they didn't have a job posting. They didn't have any money. I said, listen, here's the thing. Just so you know, I'm not gonna take a penny from this organization's budget that I didn't first put in. 
I have the ability to raise some extra funds. I, I know a lot of people that have no idea you exist. They have no idea this problem exists. There's, there's low-hanging fruit um, immediately in my life. They're waiting for me to tell them what I'm doing next. And so um, gratefully and thankfully, that has come to pass, and I'm able to uh, raise the funds that helps this organization do its thing. But that was it. I feel like I, I, I sort of graduated from my 25-year internship, and uh, and now I graduated to the job that I, that I was being prepared and, and trained for in doing what I'm doing right now with Saving Innocence. So I know that this month is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. I know that uh, at the time that we're recording this, this is probably going to air a little bit later, but the day that this is recording, we had a really high-profile mm-hmm. conviction. Uh, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, who was associated with Jeffrey Epstein, was uh, found guilty for trafficking minors. Um, so, I mean, I know that anybody who isn't aware of some of this that's going on is, you know, they may have their head in the sand, but the truth is there might still be people who really don't understand what this looks like. What is human trafficking, especially when it's related to children. So maybe you could talk about that for a minute. Help us really get to wrap our head around what that looks like. Uh, guaranteed most people don't know what's happening, don't understand it. Uh, the country has been going through a little process of waking up a bit over these last several years. And there are like this conviction you spoke about today and there's documentaries out there. And there's more people do it like you doing podcasts, shining a light on this effort. And so more people are catching a glimpse of it, but most people don't see it or, or understand it, I think. Um, and I would, and I'll, I'll answer the question here, but I would uh, just let all of your listeners go to savinginnocence.org. There's a bunch of videos there and there's survivors telling their stories. There's staff telling the stories and that will really paint a great picture as to what's going on. But the short answer is um, about 80% of the kids that we serve are, are in the foster care system. So most of the kids that are being trafficked have experienced a lot of early adolescent, early childhood abuse and trauma. Long before their trafficker ever entered the picture, um, they were abused and traumatized, often by people that are close to them and their family. Um, and that sent them down a particular path and gave them a certain view on the world and all those kinds of things. And, and then a lot of those have wound up in the foster care system, which is not set up to protect these kids and take care of these kids. It's overrun, at least in our part of the world, it's overrun with numbers. And, um, and that's where the trafficker steps in and uh, can spot the vulnerability in these kids, whether it's at a bus stop or at school or at the mall. And uh, pretty soon he starts up a conversation, starts telling her all the things that she's always wanted to hear, that she's beautiful, that she's loved, um, that she, he can offer protection, that he, he would like to be her boyfriend. And for this foster child, many of them, they've never really have never heard all those things. And uh, there's a vulnerability there that he's preying on. And so they begin a relationship. And at some point, they call it the light bulb moment. At some point, it becomes real obvious that um, that her job is to make him money. And he is asserting ownership on her. And she has no idea how to get out. And what's worse than that is a lot of these young ones, in that first glance, they don't necessarily want to get out. Because in some strange way, it's almost a little bit of an upgrade from what they're experiencing at home as a young child. At least there's somebody that's kind of looking out for them, albeit twisted and dark and uh, with a bad intention, a bad motive, but at least there's something there. Um, and so uh, that child being trafficked has to be ready to leave. They have to understand what's happening. We help them. We help open their eyes in that way. Um, and they're bought and sold. So what's happening? They're bought and sold like a piece of property. They literally mean nothing to the trafficker other than it's a financial transaction. 
It's a, they're an ATM machine. Each one of these kids can make a, a trafficker a quarter of a million dollars a year in cash, in tax-free cash. Uh, if you go to our website, savingness.org, find the video uh, by Ori Freeman, one of my all-time favorite people. She's in the book we're going to talk about in a minute. She tells her story, and she says in that video, I'm not telling uh, tales out of school here. She says in her voice on that video, by the time I was 12 years old, I had already been raped 4,000 times. Mm. That was by the time she was 12, and she stayed in that life until she was 15. So it's, it's absolutely horrific and ugly and dark and repulsive, and it's happening right here in our midst. Um, hundreds of thousands of U.S.-born American citizens' children being trafficked like that. It's, I could tell I could go on. There's a lot of ugliness, but you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it happens on like, even in rural areas, like where I live, I think it's actually probably easier to hide because there's fewer eyes on the situation. You know, I think it might not be as, as visible as, you know, the eighties movies where you go down the street and you see, you know, the prostitutes walking down the street. I don't think it looks like that today. You know, I mean, you might see that in some places, but you know um, I think it's a lot more, under the radar. It's a lot more hidden. It's a lot more private. And yeah. I think it's easier for people just to not realize what's happening. It, it definitely is happening everywhere. And um, like pouring uh, jet fuel on a fire is the technology that now is at all of our fingertips. Uh, it's the, the smartphone has been called the 21st century brothel. Um, uh, kids are being put up for sale you know, like, like a, like an ad, like an online ad list. Oh, I'd like to get some used furniture. That's and I maybe get a lawnmower and maybe someone do some yard work services and maybe some, you know, what all the different things that a Craigslist type place might sell. Well, there are places where somebody can go and there's a little drop down. They can choose which kind of little girl that they would like to purchase and rent for some time. And, um, so a lot of appointments are made online on the various apps, even on the, the social media brands that you recognize, Facebook, Instagram, it's happening on there, as well as a number of other places. And it, it's it's easier for it to be hidden um, when it actually is hidden from everyone's eyes because it's, it's happening online. But you can go, probably not in your community, if you have a small community, you might not see it. It might be hard to see. If you go to the bigger urban centers, um, like in Los Angeles, I could tell you that you go down certain streets and you'll see a bunch of these girls out there, mm -hmm. obviously for sale, um, and all across the country. Um, I'm, I know you're in Pennsylvania and, uh, out in the, the woods. If you go to, you know, your bigger cities, I bet you go to downtown Pittsburgh, you're, you can see it. Yeah. And, um, Philadelphia and the other places is absolutely, is very visible, uh, depending on where you live and where you're looking. Hmm. So then the next question is what, what kind of person, I mean, I think we have a, a pretty good picture of who these victims are, you know, and where they're coming from, but what kind of person uh, traffics another human being? Like, like, why would they do that? Yeah. Uh, there's a really interesting, I know you, you kind of uh, glanced at the book. I just got it to you, I think yesterday or today. So um, when you go back and look at a, tra a chapter on the trafficker, I actually sit down with a former trafficker a little subtitle is called coffee with a pimp. And he tells me his story as to, I said, tell me, why'd you do this? I'm asking the exact same questions. You know, what was going on? And I, I wasn't at all surprised. In fact, I sort of knew it, but to hear him say it was really interesting is that um, the same conditions that produce the child vulnerability are the same conditions that are producing these broken, most of them are men. There's some, some women, but a lot of them are men. And it's uh, early childhood abuse. 
Um, you know, there's an, a, an addicted mom to crack, a dad's in jail. Um, he's been beat at home. Uh, all those things have shaped him. And, and in his words, and it was really interesting. I go, through, I, I go through this in the book, men fight for me. I go, I go through this and right, right. The second he sits down, I mean, we were just getting started. I didn't know him. We just connected. And, um, he said, listen, I'm not evil, nor was I when I was in the game. I just needed to survive. It's like, wow, I hadn't even asked a question yet. And he's leading with that. So he'd obviously had heard a lot of things or, or felt them. But the interesting word that he said is I just needed to survive. Like he had to make money. And where he grew up, an inner city down in San Diego, but inner cities, uh, you know, throughout the country would have these conditions. Um, there's a lot of gangs. There's a lot of drugs. Uh, all of his role models were older brothers and older uh, boys in the neighborhood. And if they weren't going to be a star rapper or an athlete, which most of them aren't, they're all trying to survive. And they found out they could make a lot of money by uh, owning and selling another human over and over and over again, you know, 10, 12, 15 times every single day and every single night. Mm -hmm. And that was his story. I needed to survive. And I thought to myself, you know, I didn't choose to be a, a police officer, a fireman. I didn't go to the military. Like, I don't know that I ever actually had a moment of survival. Like the decision I make right now depends on whether or not I live or die, like a true survival situation. Uh, these young ones that we work with, they, they recount this all the time. They uh, are, it's survival. They're trying to get through this day alive and then start it all over again tomorrow. And so there's an interesting survival piece that the trafficker himself is, is uh, quoting uh, along with for the same thing from our girls. So it's, it's, it's more complex than you would think. It's a broken man, mostly men. It's a broken man. And um, this is, he's found a way to make a lot of money. I'm not excusing it in any way, but that's in his mindset. That's, that's where he's coming from most often. Hmm. Well, and, and continuing cycles of abuse, you know, I think yeah. that's, he's doing what he knows. Yeah. What do you say? Now, now the next question I kind of wonder and, and want to know is just because in my own mind and, and maybe it's just because of my background, you know, but I can't imagine being a person who would pay for sex, much less pay for sex with a minor like that, that right. blows my mind. I don't like, I'm, I, I don't have a whole lot of empathy for these traffickers, but hearing that gives me a little bit more empathy yeah. for them. Right. But um, I have even less for the men that are paying for sex. Yep. Oh, yeah. And, and who are these guys? What are they all about? Where are they coming from? Great question. And once again, when all your listeners pick up the book, uh, <laughs> there's a chapter on the on the victims, the traffickers, and the buyers. And we go into some detail. We interview some buyers. Um, one guy's in the book. He's a pastor driving to, to his church on a Christmas Eve to lead Christmas Eve service at his church. He picks up a girl on the side of the road who needed a ride. And for 20 bucks, he happened to have 20 bucks in his pocket and she performed something for him on the way to lead church. So I think the first thing to say, who are these guys? They're, they're all of us. They're everybody. It's they're, they're pastors and they're policemen and they're dentists and literally coaches. It's the guy next door. It, it's, it doesn't have the appearance of some, you know, screwball looking guy living in a van under the, under the overpass. It's not that it's professional people, um, you know, you mentioned the, the conviction today of Maxwell, you know, her and Epstein had this island full of the rich and the famous. I mean, it was the rich and the famous former presidents were there and members of the Royal family were there and big shot people were there buying sex from minors. 
it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, our youngest little one that we're taking care of is saving innocence. We got her a couple of years ago. She was seven years old. Mm. And so, you know, if you're just trying to take a 30,000 foot view and there's a 17 or 18 year old and they look really, they look really old by the time they get made up and trained. And like, it actually looks like a young woman, you know, oftentimes, but you can't hide a seven year old's youth. And, and she was trafficked from the age of four, five, six, and seven from her own biological father. And now we receive her at age seven and she just turned 10. And so you can imagine the journey that little girl's on, but the buyers, um, you know, there's a small percentage of men that build into their entertainment. They might go to a basketball game or football game or a computer show or, or just out with the guys on any old night. And there's a small percentage that will build into their entertainment. They know how on this app, they know how to, how they can order up a a girl mostly and, um, and have some version of sex with her. And, and they're living out, there's a couple different profiles and I go in and get into it in the book. There's a couple different profiles. Um, one is like this kind of this regular guy. That's a whole subheading in, in that chapter the regular guy, you know, the, the people that, you know, like everyone listening right now, I'll, I'll bet you, we'll never know the answer to this, but I'll bet you a hundred dollars that you know, someone who has bought sex. You, you just don't know it, but I'm telling you, you do. Um, and it's, it's that guy oftentimes married and kids of his own. He's most likely had a pornography uh, addiction or at least dabbles with it. He's seen things online. He's fantasized about it. His wife is never going to, wouldn't go for it. He probably wouldn't even ask her to go for whatever little fetish that he's developed. Well, now he's going to go buy someone who has power over and has to do whatever it is that he wants to do. So there's, there's that kind of person that isn't necessarily violent other than this. And it's a big thing. He's a, a good upstanding citizen. <laughs> um, and then there are others that are really working out their addictions. Um, you know, I think the thing that uh, part of my message to all men everywhere is the biggest mistake that we could make and your listeners could make right now and say, okay, yeah, that's gross. I'm not going to, I'm not going to figure out a way to go get with a 10 year old or 12 or 14 year old and have sex. That's, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. So I'm good. Right. Like this, like this conversation is not for me. And, and I want to stop everybody and say, uh, good. Thank you. I'm glad that you're not purchasing a child for sex. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, the bigger problem is the, uh, the exploitive culture, call it the soil in which all of this grows in. And all of us men need to look in the mirror. Uh, you know, pornography is a major issue for most men. We've had trafficking victims say, uh, I was being trafficked. I got sent to a motel room. I then got gang raped by a bunch of men. They turned the video camera on. And now that's on a porn, popular porn site with millions of views. And she says this, I quote her in the book. She says, every time someone's watching that porn video, they're watching me being gang raped. And so it's like, fellas, we really, uh, we have to be better than that. Uh, pornography it tends to be thought of as like a victimless crime. Well, most of the actors, if you will, are there in some form against their will. Uh, sexual encounter against their will, I think that's called rape. I'm no lawyer. So are we really going to patronize this uh, industry? Are we really going to uh, frequent a place? And there's no way to know whether or not someone is truly there under their own um, you know, volition or if they're being forced and most of them in some way, shape or form are being coerced into that spot. 
And the guy, the knucklehead sitting at home after hours, his wife's in bed looking at that, has no idea which is which. And so we're actually fueling the trafficking of minors by turning on pornography. That's just one of the ways um, I, I call men to look in the mirror. Uh, great. I'm glad you're not part of the big, bad problem that like the worst version of it, but we all have to answer to what are the kinds of movies we're watching? What are the kinds of jokes we're telling or laughing at with our guy, with our guy friends? What, what are we doing? Are we going to a strip club? Okay. There's a lot, a lot of those people at the strip club are there against their will. They're being trafficked. Um, like, are we part of the, are we feeding this ugly beast in some way, shape or form kind of unintended consequences? Our children at a young age are being trafficked and forced uh, I'm calling men to not just look at someone who's being trafficked and buying sex with another person. Let's enlarge those boundaries a lot bigger than that. And let's talk about the kind of husband we need to be at home, the kind of father, you know, I have a son and a daughter. Well, they needed to hear from their dad, um, you know, what's real, what's counterfeit and, and what isn't. They needed to see how I treated their mom, my wife. My daughter needed to know what was what she could expect uh, from a man. And she's going to learn that by watching her dad. My son needed to know how he should treat women. And the very first encounter and the biggest classroom they're ever going to have is, is their dad. So you dads out there, all of this comes back to us being the right kind of man that honors, serves, and protects women. And we do it. We first look in the mirror. We, we stop doing some of the things that are, that are part of the problem. And we start doing other things that are part of the solution. And I go into great detail in this book um, and give lots of practical takeaways as to what it might look like. That's a longer answer to your question, but you get the idea. That's a great answer though. That's yeah. exactly what I was wanting to hear and what I wanted to talk about. So, and, and that kind of brings me to my next question is we talk about what can we do? And so, yeah, that first step is looking at us and looking at what we can do in our immediate circle, you know, teaching our, our sons, this is unacceptable teaching our daughters. This is how to, how you should do, how a man should treat you. Yeah. What else can we do? How, what, as a father, as a husband, what can I do for as a, as a guy in my community, what can I do to protect the women around me yeah. from this happening to them? Well, and I just mentioned a minute ago to the very first step is to look in the mirror and your life in the shadows, who you are when no one's looking was the title of a book years ago. Like you, us men have to make sure that our life is in line with this bigger society and culture that we want for our children to grow up in, that we want for our daughter to grow up in. And so that might mean, you know, stopping some subscriptions, uh, certain, certain TV you know, cable shows you're not watching anymore because they're exploiting women and, and boys, but they're exploiting women. Um, so stop doing some of that stuff. Stop looking at porn, maybe easier said than done, but there's just some things that we can do. Um, and, and as you engage with your daughter to show her what a real healthy, authentic male is and looks like do the same thing for your boy. And then I would say dads, uh, find another dad or two or three that have kids similar age and now meet once a month and, and have some food. If it's little boys, you're going to feed them, <laughs> um, you know, go through this book, uh, you know, I, depending on how old your kids are, but you know, you can pull some stuff out and just begin the process at an age appropriate language, age appropriate themes of helping your little boys and your little girls understand what's happening out there. Um, and as they watch you become a great husband to your wife, their mother, we're going to arm them with really, they're going to be so much further down the path than most kids out there. Cause a lot of dads are absentee dads. They're, they've mailed in, they may not be physically absent, although, although a lot are, 
they may just, you know, be consumed with their own world, building the kingdom of self. And, and they kind of have abdicated their role as dad and leader of their family along alongside with their wife and the kids, our kids in, in our country are suffering for it. In the book, there is a whole list. I'm being a little bit vague right now, but that is a big thing. It's kind of a macro and a micro. I go through, okay, well, um, when it comes time to vote uh, for the people in your community, um, let's make sure we're voting for people. Make sure you hear these things um, in their campaign speeches. Um, there's those kinds of things, the technology uh, that's at our disposal. And then um, again, looking in the mirror and living it out loud. And as you, as you begin to transform your home and grab two or three or four other dads and their homes and their children start being transformed, that's contagious. And now we got young men um, that are growing up uh, empowered to live a strong, healthy version of masculinity. The tagline of the book, it says, men fight for me. And I'll explain that title in a minute if you want me to. Um, and it says, you know, um, talks about healthy, you know, the, the, the healthy masculinity, the role of authentic masculinity and ending sexual exploitation and trafficking. I kind of forgot it for a second. There's a role. We all have a role as men. And so what is that? Chapter four of the book, we go man to man. And I interview a bunch of men and interview my son. He's in there and uh, give some real practical takeaways on what's the definition of a man. Is it the first time he has sex? Does that make him a man? Society wants you to say that. Is it a certain age? 1821? What is a real man, an authentic man? And we go into those details. And um, I would challenge all men, all dads everywhere to come up with their working definition of what a real man is uh, that's based in health and strength and positivity, and then begin to drill your sons with all of it. And once a month, uh, do some sort of curriculum, some sort of activity with the dads and the sons that you have. And um, you're going to be raising good, strong men that your daughter-in-law and your future grandchildren are going to thank you for. And they will begin to, in fact, change the world. And that will affect, if we get enough men doing those kinds of things, that will affect um, people being trafficked on the street corner on the internet. You know, I think part of the, we, it's a, there's a paradigm. We're not trying to slow this down. We're not trying to limit trafficking. It, it has no place in our society, in a civilized society. We have to extinguish it. It's all hands on deck. We need every man to step in and do whatever it is that, that he can do. And, I, and that's something I say a lot. Uh, just do whatever it is that you can do. Like, Josh, you have a podcast. You can have me on your podcast. Awesome. That's perfect. Somebody else doesn't have a podcast. They have something else. They, their brother-in-law is somebody, whatever. I mean, everybody has something that they can contribute to this fight. And um, I'm trying to get as many men as possible to get everyone to do what they can do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think a lot about, um, I had a conversation with a guy, you know, and this, this is kind of one of those <laughs> off topic things, but it, it might make a little bit of sense. Uh, I think it was talking with um, Justin Jones on the Curious Jones podcast. We were talking about how the, the problem isn't toxic masculinity. The problem is an absence of masculinity. Right. And, and I, I gave the example and I'll give it here too, you know, like even with things like sexual abuse and when these things happen, you know, like seems to me that, you know, in the old days, if, and maybe I'm wrong, but maybe it's just in my own mind and growing up in the small town that I grew up in, if somebody had done that, they would be afraid to show their face on the street. Right. <laughs> because a real man wouldn't let that man walk down the street. 
<laughs> you know, and I'm not saying I'm not advocating vigilante violence or anything like that, but I, I am saying that, you know, I, I think we have to, yeah, we have to keep our eyes open and we have to be aware of what's happening and we have to take action. And, yeah. you know, especially when, when it looks like our justice system is failing, you know, we do have to step up and, and be on guard. You know, if you see stuff starting to happen, you know what, be present. You know, it's a lot harder to have a block with a bunch of prostitutes on it, right? Underage prostitutes. If across the street, there's a block party with people uh, giving away free lemonade and just having a presence and shining light. You know what I mean? Just being there and a bunch of guys that could do some damage to uh, somebody who were getting out of line, yeah. you know? Well, um, I'm, a, I'm a big movie guy and I quote a number of movies in the book. It was kind of fun. makes it fun. I think it makes it fun. <laughs> but um, you're talking about, you know, a few good men, the code red, that we're going to police ourselves, you know, and we, and that's, that's the spirit of the book is we need men to stand up and talk to men. And, you know, let me just slip in where the title of the book comes from because it's appropriate right here. When I came to Saving Innocence, um, it, it took very little time before I realized when I showed up somewhere, I, I was the only man, almost no men at anything. Um, and then as I got to know what was happening with this crime, it's almost always being perpetrated by men. Well, so where are the men is part of the solution. We can't find them. And that, that bothered me for a while. I was, I was like just marinating on it. And then I went to an event, a couple of our staff were um, speaking, sharing their stories, survivors. Uh, in fact, Jessica, our co-author was one of them. And she was sharing her story that day. And another um, survivor named Rachel, and she tells her story in chapter three of this book. Uh, in her first person. And long story short, she's in that Saturday afternoon at a church, kind of a, a community awareness event. And she says, after five months, you know, after I began to believe the lies that I'd been told, how guilty and shameful I was and how dirty I was. And I, I gave up. I couldn't figure out a way to get out. I could no longer fight for myself, she says. And then she says, I needed someone to fight for me. Well, the hair on the back of my neck almost stood up and it was like, yes. And it's going to have to be men. There's a bunch of really great, courageous, strong, awesome women that are part of this solution. But the biggest part of this problem is men. So we need men to stand up, to step up, get off the sidelines. And I just thought to myself, okay, I'll fight for you and I'll fight for you and you and you. I'm going to see how many good men I can get that will yeah. do something positively. And so that was the essence of the book. We added the word men because we wanted to show up in men's searches and men's things because that was the target audience. Although a lot of women are reading it and loving it. Um, 80% of it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman because it's just great stuff and information. But there's a good 20% that's me and my male voice challenging men mm -hmm. to step up. I needed someone to fight for me. Like, who's with me? Come on, guys. Let's go. It's time to go. We can't, we can't waste another day. It's time to rally. I'll be honest. I think that when I talk with men these days, the ones that are feeling discouraged, that are feeling down, that are feeling purposeless, it's because they don't have any battle to fight. Yeah, yeah. Here's one. <laughs> yep, we got one for you. Yep. And, and the thing that I, I actually love about this fight is that it's outside of any um, uh, definitions that would somehow limit it or, or somehow disqualify somebody from being in it. You know, uh, it's, it's, if someone is a, a man of faith, they could, they could get involved and in, in kind of through the prism of their faith, that would make a lot of sense, but you don't have to be a man of faith. It's, it's a human rights issue. It's, it's not political. It's not left or right politics. It's not a, a racial component of some kind. 
um, we can all be part of this fight. No one is disqualified from jumping in and doing whatever it is that they can do. And we go into some details that here's what you could do today. There's 12 things you could do today right now. It's in the appendix and we give them some great, um, these are quickies. You can do them real quick. And then there's some bigger things we're going to challenge you with as well. Awesome. So I would say this for the, the guys that are listening if they want to get involved with this, if they do want to do that, you know, obviously grabbing the book because you've got some great resources there. Uh, where else would you point them? Where, where, where should we start? Yeah. Well, I would send everybody to the website fightforme.net. That's a little website that we started and the book could be bought there. So go there and buy the book. Um, shameless plug, but that would be my first step. I want everybody to buy the book. Uh, any proceeds are, are benefiting the survivors you're going to meet in the book. Um, but in addition to just a place to buy the book and it's for sale on Amazon. So you don't have to, you could find it. it's called men fight for me, but there is an easy link right on fightforme.net, And, um, we're creating these, also these video logs, kind of like what we're doing right now. I don't know if, if this is shown audio and video with your audience. It does. Okay. Yep. So, um, you'll find on that website, um, our YouTube channel, and we've made about eight or nine of them so far. It's Jessica, my co-author. We're interviewing these various people, kind of one of these video logs for each one of the chapters. So one time we're talking about buyers, one traffickers, you know, that kind of thing. Just gobble up all that stuff. Uh, go to savingnessness.org, like I mentioned earlier. There's a bunch of videos and infographics there. If you want to take another step, the first step is to educate yourself a little bit. Now, don't get paralyzed in it, but educate yourself a little bit. There's an amazing little thing called Google. <laughs> Google up. Follow the rabbit trails, questions, learn, read, watch videos, documentaries, and um, and then somewhere in the darkness, you'll be motivated to do something. And I would say start in right now. I'm guessing probably a lot of your listeners are somewhere in the Pennsylvania area, probably bigger than that, but a lot of them probably are. I don't I'm not familiar personally, but I bet there's some anti trafficking organizations that are doing good work right there. Uh, Google up something uh, right there near where you live, wherever you live across the country, guys, and um, reach out to them. Say, what do you need? I'd like to help. Maybe you can provide gift cards for the staff. Uh, now, we just missed Christmas, but, you know, it's a good time to just bless the staff no matter what. Um, they're going to have needs that the kids that they work uh, serve. You can get involved in an easy way, become a financial donor um, to, to their organization, if you don't have one, go to saving it. <laughs> we'll let you do that. But um, that's what I would do. Get a little bit educated. Go to those couple of websites. Go to fightforme.net. Get this book. And um, and then get involved locally as much as you can. Awesome. Yeah, I, I know that there are places like you, even here in the small county I live, you know, we do have a victims resource center through uh, the local YWCA. And they help victims of domestic abuse. And anything, you know, sexual abuse, rape, things like that. So they would definitely have a resource there that could help in this situation. And that would be a great place for people in my community to get plugged in. But I know that there are um, similar organizations all over in every community and, and yeah, have a, have a conversation or even you also said, you know, that a lot of this, a lot of these kids start in the foster care system. So ask the question, should you be in foster care? Should you be a foster parent? Oh, yes. You know, my wife and I went through that program and we actually did just respite care for a short time um, and, and took in some kids and um, it, our life kind of took a turn in terms of busyness and everything else where it was just something where we can't do it right now, but just, just to be, and she was a, a, a court appointed special advocate as well. So she was, 
you know, on the front lines fighting there as well. And, you know, just, just being involved, you know, or when you see a young man who doesn't have a mentor, yep. you know, goodness, these kids, these, who, the, who are they? I think about that all the time, you know, look at the, the boys that are in your neighborhood. Who's teaching them how to be a man? That's not just, that's not just their dad's job. That should be their dad's job. But I mean, I had a great dad and I still had to learn a lot from other men, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And we've just launched, we're launching right now, Saving Innocence, a foster care program in Los Angeles for, for our kids that have experienced this, uh, this mm-hmm. abuse and this trauma. We feel like it's the most strategic thing that we could actually do is to wrap a, a qualified, healthy, loving, protective family around this kid so she can have a chance at getting out because so many of them, we, we help get them out of the trafficking kind of chaos, but they don't have anywhere healthy to go. And so oftentimes it's a short leap back in. So yeah, boy, that's a big ass though. But yeah, anyone who's listening um, who could be a foster parent, uh, that would be incredible. Yeah. And if it's something that you can't do, you can always support those foster families that do because yeah. Every community has an organization that that helps those foster families, and you can easily say, "How can I help you?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once a month, I'll uh, I'll bring dinner over for you guys, or give you a date night. I'll, I'll get finger do my fingerprints, and I'll watch the kids while you get a date night out once yeah. once a month or however often, and home, help with homework. Maybe you, maybe you're one of these smart guys who knows stuff. You can be a tutor for these kids in a foster program and teach them math. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things. We just have to start. There's got to be something gnawing on the inside. I hope that so far in this podcast, um, we're ruffling some feathers. I hope, I hope that some people won't sleep for a week and they're tossing and turning because they had no idea that thousands, maybe three to 400,000 children in our midst are being trafficked and raped a dozen times or more a night right here in our cities and our communities. And we need men to step up. This problem is caused by men. Men who are in a dark place, they don't want to hear it from a woman. They just don't. They don't want to hear a woman scolding about pornography or anything else. They need other men to step up. You be that man. You be that man in your community of men. Call them to a higher level. Call them up and call them out and live it out loud in your community. And we'll begin to see some changes. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%, man. I uh, want to encourage everybody, definitely check out the, the resources that we've got available here. Uh, we'll have some links in our show notes as well. So if you want to click through and check out what's what's happening there, I, I think that's good stuff. So, uh, Alan, I love to ask this question, these questions of all my guests. It's actually been part of my, one of my favorite parts of each podcast episode. <coughs> and and the first one is this. If, if you were to encounter the eight to 10-year-old version of yourself. Right. And... And, and you could talk to him and give him some advice for the future. What would that be? On the first day you can buy Apple and Amazon stock. That's what I would tell my 10 year old self. <laughs> buy as much as you can buy Apple stock in 1984 <laughs> or whatever, whenever it was. Um, and then after we did all that, uh, after we bought all our, our, our stock options, um, I, I, that's an interesting question. Eight or 10 is a little young, but I would want to encourage my 10 year old self to think about and care about big things that are happening because you might be part of that solution. And, and I don't know if I would go so far with my 10 year old self and talk this conversation, you know, I just had, but I would want my 10 year old self. 
I, I had to wait until most of my adult life, you know, I'd worked another career. I didn't know anything about this. And I would want myself to get involved much earlier, much younger, um, and become aware. I'd want to make myself aware at an age appropriate self of the, the pain that so many people are experiencing and, um, challenge myself to be part of that solution. I, I would want to do that. Yeah. You could tell yourself to be a superhero. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And then my next question is this, what's your best advice that you have for the guys that are listening today? Wow. Uh, buy Apple stock when you're, no. Um, <laughs> my best advice for the guys that are listening today, uh, men uh, have some courage. And uh, it's going to be, it's going to take courage to make an impact because you're going to be going against the flow. Society thinks it's okay. No one's going to say it. But the simple fact that it's not stopping and there's not a large scale effort to stop trafficking, that tells us that it's kind of okay in a lot of ways. It's going to take courage. There's rich and powerful people that are part of this problem. You know, I don't know if you saw this, Josh, but uh, I was disgusted a month or two ago when the NFL announced who the halftime Super Bowl show is this coming February, which is in Los Angeles. We've got a big problem in Los Angeles because of that. And I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to do any of that. But there's two or three of the guys on there that it wouldn't take long before you find the most horrific, ugly, demeaning, degrading, sexually violent lyrics that they've made millions and millions and millions of dollars on. And those are the people we're giving the biggest stage to in our country as musicians, the halftime of the Super Bowl. So it's going to take courage. It's going to take a uh, it's going to take a commissioner of the NFL to have some courage to say, no, we're not putting those guys on the stage. It takes some courage of a, an elected official to say, no, we're not going to allow this in our, in our community. Um, and for those men, I'd say, have some courage, stand up. You might lose a friend or two. It's possible you could lose a friend or two because they're involved in a, in a darker way, in a deeper way. And for you to engage them in that, they might not want to hear it. So men have some courage and uh, uh, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the strength to overcome the fear. I talk about that in my man chapter in the book, uh, the Marine Corps Commandant um, defined courage that way. It's not the absence of fear. You can be afraid and still be courageous. Stand up, men. Join the fight. Get involved. It's go time. Do that. <laughs> awesome. Alan, I think you've given us some great stuff to think about, and yeah, I definitely feel it's a call to action for us. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how this resonates. You know, if you're listening today and you're like, I want to get involved, definitely go check out uh, the fight. Was it fightforme.org? You said fightforme.net. Fightforme.net. Yeah. And uh, let, let's see if we can get involved here. How can we help? So let's, let's make this happen. Yeah. I, I appreciate you being on the show and sharing your thoughts with us today, Alan. Uh, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much. And uh, I love it when I see someone like yourself using your already developed platform and shine that light on this issue. We need more good, strong men out there doing whatever they can do. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, let's give a hand to Alan Smith for sharing the stories that he's sharing and for the work that he's doing. You are a superhero, brother, and I appreciate you. And I want to see all of us men get involved. So please click on the links in the show notes. Let's get involved. Let's do what we can to end this horrible practice, this horrible thing that is happening in our culture. And let's start by, guess what? By being good men, by having each other's backs, by 
teaching our children, by looking out for other kids, by being involved. That's where this starts, guys. So let's do that together. Let's end it. Let's end it now. Anyway, I'm glad you guys tuned in. Please share this episode with a friend. Let's talk about it. Let's share it. Let's get it out there. Let's make, uh, let's make human trafficking a historical footnote that ends today. Anyway, lots more interviews coming up for you guys in the coming weeks. I am excited about some of the guests that we've had on, and I can't wait to share their stories with you. So please, stay tuned, stay engaged, and let's be better men together. I love you, I care about you, and I'll see you next time. If you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. Men, you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for Manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast.